0: 2020, and so you just sort of expect things to be 2020-ish. Um, uh, today on the program, I am going to be specifically addressing uh, my Muslim friends. I have invited them to t- tune in today. I want this whole program to be addressed to them, but please give me just a moment here at the beginning to say that, obviously, uh, Lord willing, tomorrow uh, I will address the breaking news of the moment. I don't even know what the uh, what the decision is being uh, called. Um, this uh, is uh, Bostock versus Clayton County, Georgia. Uh, so maybe it's going to be the Bostock decision, uh, something like that. I, I don't know. Um, but um, today, uh, the dec- decision came down from the United States Supreme Court, six to three. Uh, demonstrating that there is a leftist majority on the Supreme Court. Thought it was conservative, didn't you? It's not. It's a leftist six to three majority. There are only three justices left in the Supreme Court uh, who have any concern whatsoever uh, concerning the original intention of the words, the meaning of the words. Uh, other than that, uh, all the rest of them are leftists, Um. And that's it. (laughs) Uh, And what just happened was the Equality Act just got passed by the Supreme Court. It could never pass the legislature, but it just passed the Supreme Court. And sex just got redefined by the Supreme Court. Um, The insanity, the moral evil of transgenderism was just established as rule of law by the Supreme Court, Uh, which means – that I think the day of the last broadcast of the dividing line by this mechanism moved up rapidly um, just today. Because we have to speak the truth, we have to be able to speak what Scripture st- states. Jesus said God created man and woman. There is no mixing of those, there is no crossing, of there is no such thing as transition. Um... That is, that's a fantasy, but it's now a fantasy that, thanks to six black robe radicals, is enshrined in the law of this land. You insert fantasy into the law, you destroy the law's moral capacity. Um, but that's where we are. And so um, I want to be able to read the decisions, and I understand that Justice Alito wrote a scathing denunciation, um, which means nothing, but... It's it's still, you know, always makes you feel better. When a Obergefell was passed, there was 10,000 times the amount of logic and intellect expressed in the uh, denunciation of Obergefell by the minority than anything in the feel-good, ishy-squishy stupidity of the majority. Um, So I want to be able to read Alito. I want to be able to address this uh, more fully. Uh, But this just took place. The news of it just hit, and uh, so I want to make you aware of it. It obviously is a in- incredibly serious matter of, of prayer, but it should not shock us. It should not shock us. I have been saying to my Christian friends from before 2016, it's all about the Supreme Court, huh? No. Um, it's all about the Constitution. No. Um, the, the Supreme Court and the Constitution the Constitution is a piece of paper. It has words written on it. And if you've seen what leftists can do with the Bible, then leftists can do that a whole lot more with a much shorter document called the Constitution. Once you have a worldview where words do not have meaning any longer, then the Constitution, its rights, all those things can evaporate in a in literally a moment. And that's what's going on. Um, Real quickly, one last thing. Gabriel Hughes, Pastor Gabe on Twitter, just tweeted this a few moments ago. Um, uh, 12 minutes ago. And as soon as I read it, I went, oh. Here's what he said. To every church that just took federal money during the pandemic... And every Christian institution, higher education, or parachurch ministry accepting government funds. Be ready. Misery is coming. I, I was so focused upon the insanity of Neil Gorsuch and Chief Justice Roberts. We already know the insanity of the leftists. We already know that they're ideologues. We already know they don't care about what the Constitution says. They don't care about its meaning. It's irrelevant. They're just there to push their leftism. But now we've discovered we thought we had a 5-4. It's actually 6-3 the other direction. Um, I'm thinking about all that. And all of a sudden, I read that, and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All those churches, all those churches put their hand out and said, yeah, we'll, we'll take some of that. Guess who's coming to dinner? Guess who owns your soul now? Yeah, there you go. There you go. Tried to tell you. Tried to, well, I, I didn't try to tell you. I'll take that back. I apologize. I, it never crossed my mind that anyone would do it. It never crossed my mind that any church would go, yeah, let's take some of this stimulus money and, uh, and, and cover our payroll. That's how we'll do it. It, I just never thought anybody would do it. I I just thought everybody would go, yeah, right, sure. Uh, So I didn't tell you. Once I found out people were doing it, the tunes, literally, of some churches of over a million dollars. I'm just like, okay. And now that government can say to you, oh, I see you took some of our stimulus money. Have you heard of the Equality Act? You don't need to anymore because now it's the law of the land anyways. There you go. There you go. <sighs> okay. So tomorrow, once I have a little time to do a little more reading, I mean, I've been doing reading the past few minutes just to catch up on it. Distracted me from really being prepared to do what I want to do. But I, that's, that's, there, there you go. Um, that's, that's what we're up against. Sorry about that. Welcome to the program, uh, to my Muslim friends. Big doings in our world as well, and I've known about these since last week. Um, and so I want to address a very important development in a completely different field. I know it's really hard to make this shift. I'm, the, the gears are smoking as I'm, <laughs> the clutch just about blew up trying to make this transition, I will assure you. Um. Uh, but uh, I, must, I must do my best. And I do this as a person who can document uh, the reality of the fact that I have been calling for much more serious discussion of this very issue on the part of Christians and Muslims together for a very, very long time. I have done uh, two debates, one in Pachasum, South Africa, with Yusuf Ismail, one in London with Adnan Rashid. Now, Adnan and I had not gotten to know each other yet when we did uh, that debate. It might be a little bit different now. But, anyway, I've done at least two debates on the issue of the transmission of the text of the New Testament versus the transmission of the text of the Quran. And I have... Called for, in both of those debates, the utilization of equal scales, just scales. We we have to use the same standards as we um, examine the reality that, as a Christian, I have a collection of 66 ancient books, some of which are far more ancient than others, written in three different languages over the course of a millennium and a half. The Quran, ostensibly, is the work of a single uh, individual over a period of approximately 22 years, at most. Um, The oldest portion of the Quran is minimally half a millennium younger than the oldest portion of the New Testament. And you only have one language, primarily, in the transmission. I mean, there are loan words, but... you know, let, Let's go with the idea of Arabic as the original language, obviously. So... You have major differences, right there in age, authorship, um, the the nature of the the literature itself. Lots of differences, but what we have are written texts that were transmitted by hand until the invention of printing. Now you might say, well, ours were, ours transmitted. Orally, well, there were oral elements in any uh, ancient tradition or even medieval, because the Quran's right on the borderline between ancient and medieval. I mean, it, most people go you know, right around 600, so yeah, it, it might fit into the very, very, very end of the ancient world, the very, very beginning of the medieval. It, it, it depends on where you draw the line. But every every work has an oral element to it there has been a uh, emphasis amongst Muslims on that oral element of the Quran, but that oral element cannot be analyzed remotely, from our time period, because it's oral. (laughs) But it can have a a big impact upon the transmission of a text, and I think the fact that we have as many aruf as we have, the readings of the Quran, even in printed form, um, I think that that probably goes back to a period of, of oral transmission. Now, what has happened that all of a sudden everybody's talking about this? It's something we've been talking about for a long time. I've done debates. And what I have said in those debates is that there is a fundamental difference in the mechanism by which, and I, we normally just stick with the New Testament versus uh, the Quran. Because the primary theological differences between Islam and Christianity are based there, primarily. Though issues relating to um, prophecies of Muhammad, prophecies of Jesus, things like that, do go back to the issue of of the Tanakh, the Torah, the Nevi'im, the Ketuvim, uh, what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. But primarily looking at the New Testament and, uh, and the Quran, what I have called for is... And a recognition of the difference between what's called free transmission, which is what we have in the New Testament, the free transmission of the text, where there's no governmental authorities, there are no um, overriding powers that can say, turn in all your copies of the Book of Romans, we're going to provide you with the official copy. That couldn't happen. Uh, there was no centralized Christian church that had that kind of authority for centuries until long after many of the earliest manuscripts in the New Testament were buried in the sands of Egypt. Um, the church never had that power or capacity, and given the ancient world, would never have had that power or capacity, even if they had been more widespread and, and numerous than they were. With the Quran, you have a controlled transmission, uh, even within the Islamic sources you, you cannot escape what's called the Uthmanic revision. You cannot escape Sahih al-Bukhari uh, 6, 509, 510, uh, the collection under Abu Bakr, the uh, revision, the production of an official version uh, under Uthman. This is very early in the transmission of the text. Uh, this is not only found in Islamic sources, in the Hadith, um, but also in Christian sources, dating from around the same time period, the same fundamental story is told within Christian sources that you you have within Islamic sources concerning this particular subject. And so you have the caliphate producing an official version and sending it to the key Islamic um, cities. And so this would be, this would this is functionally a controlled transmission of the text, and there's a huge difference between a free transmission and a controlled transmission of a text. And and I have argued um, that, in reality, the free transmission of the text gives you a considerably higher confidence that you still possess the original readings than a controlled one, especially if there is evidence of the destruction of preceding texts in the revision process, and there is both in Islamic and Christian sources in the Islamic sources ordered that other copies, other Mus'haf were to be burned. Uh, And the Christian sources soaked in, what was it? Lye water or something along those lines. It was, was uh, one of the, one of the sources. Um, But in, in, in any case you have, in the documents, this information about the destruction of preceding versions that are considered to not follow the official version that is now being put forward. This is a very important thing. It's very important because when Christians and Muslims talk, the vast majority of Muslims, the vast majority of Muslims, and i'm I'm hoping, i'm I'm asking, Uh, I'm going to be sending this with time index so I can skip past the first part, but I'm sending this to a number of my Muslim friends with whom I have had debates, to Adan Rashid, uh, to Yusuf Ismail, uh, to to Dr. Qadi and to Shabir Ali. Uh, And it's Dr. Qadi and Shabir Ali who have made comments recently that have started all of this. Um, we, We are constantly dealing with the reality that I know that Yusuf Ismail known, I know that Shabir Ali knows, uh, Dr. Khadi has now made this uh, made this uh, public statement in regards to these things, that there is a textual history to the Quran and that not all the manuscripts of the Quran read identical to one another. Um, th- this has been known for a very, very long time, but there's a difference between it being known by scholars And being known by the vast majority of Muslims, 99.9% of the Muslims with whom I have ever had dialogue with did not know anything about the history of their text. They did not know that there are variations. In fact, they've read book after book after book that says that every single manuscript of the Quran is identical to every other single manuscript. I've had Muslims look me in the eye and tell me that with absolute assurance what they're saying is true. I had absolute assurance that what they're saying was false, but that's the problem, is there are tremendous numbers of books out there. Um, and many speakers, popular speakers on YouTube and before then, that present the idea there's just one Quran, there's no variations whatsoever. And therefore, when they can pick up any English Bible... And find some manuscripts say this, and some manuscripts say that. Well, there, there you go. That's that's the end of the conversation. Your text is corrupt. Our text isn't. We win. That that's just that's the essence of what the conversation has looked like. And I have been saying for a long time, we're never going to get anywhere until there is a an honest recognition that. Both of us have ancient texts, and both of us have a textual history to our ancient texts. Now, the Christians are already open about that, except for King James only us, <laughs> uh, and T.R. Onlyus. So, so there there are there are some groups of Christians that have the same mindset as the vast majority of Muslims that there cannot be any variation if it's and Bart Ehrman, shockingly enough, because that's Bart Ehrman's view. If it's inspired, there'll be no variation. That's what Bart Ehrman says. That's what the TR onlyists say. That's what the King James onlyists say. Uh, And that's what the vast majority of Muslims say. Is that if it's given by God, then God will somehow, in some miraculous fashion, strike any scribe dead who's about to make a mistake, basically. Um, Or will just take them over and they'll write the right thing, or, or whatever. Now, Christian scholarship has never held that view. Um, the early Christian fathers discussed variations in their manuscripts from the very beginning, from starting the second century. So, that's never been uh, the, the viewpoint of people who actually are studied, and as I said, there are Muslim scholars who know this, but right now, even Dr. Khadi has said that the ulema back home in the Arabic world, not in the Western world, but in the Arabic world, just has ignored this area, has, has not dealt with this particular area. So what has happened? Well, um, what has happened is over the past couple of weeks, uh, last week I was made aware of an interview between Muhammad Hijab, whom I've been trying to arrange getting to meet him and arrange having a debate. Man, with what's going on in travel and stuff like that, I, I really hope we haven't lost the opportunity of doing that. But my last few trips to, to London, I've been trying to arrange something like that, and I just keep running into stone walls. But anyway, uh, Muhammad Hijab interviewed Yasser Khadi. Now, if if you're new to the program or something like that, um, Yasser Khadi and I turned the Christian-Islamic discussion world upside down. Uh, a couple years ago, when uh, we had a pair of dialogues uh, on weeknights, one in a Christian church, one in the mosque, and it wasn't a formal debate. We were discussing all sorts of other issues. And so the first night I was asking Yasser Kadi questions, the second night he was asking me questions— um, he's explaining what it's like to be a Muslim in the Western world and things like that. And he's asking me questions like, um, we Muslims don't understand the Trinity. Explain it to us. Why did a part of God have to die? And here I am in a mosque and getting to answer these questions. And, and it, was, it was great, but it got a lot of pushback, mainly just from my side, not from the Muslim side. Um, but from our side, all sorts of folks, you, you, you're not supposed to have this kind of respectful conversation going on between Christians and Muslims, despite all the doors it opens. But, anyways, so, same Yasr Khadi, um, who is now the head of the Islamic Seminary of America uh, in the Dallas area. Uh, He had been with the Maghrib Institute uh, back east, or back in Memphis, and uh, now he's in the uh, Dallas area. And so, Muhammad Hijab did a 90-minute interview. And the first part of the interview was about things that that uh, Yasser Khadi experienced when he was studying in Medina and some of the uh, prejudice that he experienced coming from the United States and not fitting into certain groups um, that were in control there and uh, things like that. It was very interesting. Um, But then Muhammad Hijab asked the question about... The Aruf. Now, let me, let me just. Recently, um, I picked this up. This is by Fadal Saliman. Uh, this is Bridges' translation of the 10 Qiraat of the Noble Quran. Qiraat readings, um, the Aruf are used. Uh, there are. If I. And I was going to grab one, and then I got. I ran into the Supreme Court thing and, and got distracted. Um, but if you have, and I should have that, I, I know it's in here someplace. Um, if you have the standard... Oh, well, close enough to bite me. Uh, if you have the standard cut uh, on and... Now, this is not the one I was looking for, the one that had the blue pages. Um, but if you if you get your standard Arabic Quran, almost all of the United States are going to be printed in the exact same way. And I've, I've, I've mentioned uh, that they are so consistent that I was listening to a lecture by Yasser Khadi once, and he's memorized the Quran, but everybody has... You know, you, your, your mind, it, it's like in that one debate where, you know, I've quoted John 1 1 in Greek 10,000 times and then you stumble over something that one time when a camera's on you. Um, but he couldn't get the ayat, uh, the ayah out. And so in frustration, he said, it's surah, whichever surah it was, right hand page at the top. Now, for us, that would be meaningless because there is no there, right-hand page at the top might have worked if everybody had the same Schofield, old Schofield printing of the King James Version of the Bible or something like that. Um, but it worked for them because that's how consistent these printings are. Well, the problem is, this is what you'll get in the West, but this isn't what you'll get in India. And this isn't what you'll get in Pakistan. And this isn't what you will get in Indonesia. And there are different versions. They're not different translations. Don't don't make that mistake. But they they have differing versions. And one study recently of 36 different printings came up with 93,000 differences between these various printings. Now, the one standard one in the West from 1924 in Cairo um, when I talked to my Muslim friends and I asked them um, what manuscripts were made, were used in the construction of the, of the Cairo text, who were the scholars that examined the differences between the Mus'haf, um, how did they decide textual variants? there's not a single Muslim in the world that knows. I don't know of any Muslims that do know. I don't know if that information is actually available. I don't know that they even used manuscripts. When the King James translators translated the King James, they didn't use manuscripts. They used printed editions. They used Baza 1598. Then they used 1555 Stephanus. They used Erasmus. They, they used printed editions. They didn't use manuscripts. And given that the Cairo text was just simply due to um, the school system they're asking for a standardized text, in all probability, they didn't use manuscripts. And so, how did that become the inspired version? But it's not. If you can buy from Muslim sources entire books which are, are designed to give you the different differing readings that are found in the printed editions of the Quran... Um, obviously there's a textual history, but there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of knowledge as to what that textual history actually is. And some of us have spent a fair amount of time. I'm not ignorant. Let's go over here. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not ignorant of what Muslims have been saying. Um, m- my library is actually rather full. In fact, my library has more of this stuff than most of the Muslims I talk to, by a long shot. So, you know, here is the history of the Quranic text from Revelation to Compilation. Al Azami's work, yep, quite familiar with it. I've got the, the Sa'ana Palimpsest, uh, uh, Hilali's work on, on the Sa'ana Palimpsest, and other works on Sa'ana uh, there. Um, ah, did he, did he, oh, this is heavy. We have, uh, this actually came with a really cool... Um, This is the Qur'an of Uthman. Uh, This is uh, the one, um, the Russian printing of this particular one from 2004. Uh, Very, very interesting. By the way, all these earlier ones are fragmentary. They're they're not the complete text of the Qur'an. Uh, All the earliest manuscripts. Here's the um, uh, top copy, palace, uh, uh, Qur'an. With, uh, there, there's a very interesting chart in here with some of the variant readings between the major Mushof, between the ma- major manuscripts uh, up toward the front. Yeah, right here, here uh, variant readings found there. Um, and then, of course, the crown jewels, which you see in the background of the dividing line very often. Maybe you didn't recognize that they were down there, but these two that, were, that are normally uh, just on top of Codex Sinaiticus, two museum-quality reproductions of uh, manuscript 328 from the British uh, from the um, in, in France and what's 16 was 1625 2165 sorry 2165 from the British Library uh, some of the earliest uh, manuscripts earliest Mushaf of the of the Quran again they are fragmentary they are not complete um, so the point is that we have done very due diligence in looking at the other side and the information that is there to try to verify whatever uh, assertions it is that that we are going to make. Now, with all of that, it's important to point out that the state of the textual Study of the Quran is in its infancy, in comparison to where we are with the New Testament. That's that's just a fact. Um, let me let me just for for my Muslim friends, let me just show you. In from my computer, I have this on my phone. I have this on my iPad. Uh, this is the New Testament textual uh, screen that comes up. When I, if I, I brought up Romans 5.1. I, I did a sermon recently where I talked about uh, the end of Romans. I went into Romans 5.1, and I also did a program here on the dividing line where I talked about the difference between ekamen, the uh, indicative, and ekomen, the subjunctive, at Romans 5.1. And here's, you put in Romans 5.1, and this is what comes up on your screen. Textual, multiple textual commentaries, multiple critical editions of Greek text. And that's y'all in 28th over here, UBS 5th down here. Um, I can go into textual interlinear's uh, on the can't do it here because of uh, where I am, but uh, textual. Actually, I, can, I I I can do that here. Let me just show you again. Do-do-do-do-do. There it is. There's textual interlinear for um, various Greek New Testament uh, Texas Receptus, uh, Westcott Hort, Byzantine, Syriaticus, Vaticanus, Washingtonius doesn't contain it, which is why it's all you know. Alexandrus. I can compare. Manuscripts like this. There is absolutely, positively nothing, nothing at all like that. Bring up Romans 5.1 real quick on this one, too. There is absolutely, positively nothing like this for the Quran. It does not exist anywhere on the planet. Because the foundational work that would requ- that is required to do this would involve a massive amount of... You would be producing um, a – and here's the you – can, you can put Sinaiticus right next to Vaticanus, Washingtonianus doesn't have Romans 5.1, Alexandrus, and then the papyri uh, over here. Notice they're all linked together across the modules. I mean, it, it, it is astonishing the amount of information that we have as New Testament scholars to deal with the ancient text of the New Testament. It is a tremendous blessing, um, really is fantastic, and it's only getting better and better. And yes, I can then bring up the actual, I can go to Codex, Codex Vaticanus, and I can bring up the actual page, and I can examine it, because this is a transcription of it, I can, I can bring that up, I can do the same thing as Sinaiticus, um, Alexandrinus, the, these are all available. So, the, the point is, this re- has required decades and decades and decades of cooperation of Christian scholars from around the world. In the production, for example, of a consistent catalog, you need to know you need to have one designation for every manuscript, so that you can know which manuscripts we're talking about. Because a lot of these, a lot of the chronic manuscripts have multiple names, and so it's hard to, you know, which palimpsest are you talking about here? Well, I'm not sure. Is it that one? Is it? It's very, very confusing. There needs to be a catalog. There needs to be uh, high quality digital photography of all of these things, all that information needs to be made available to everybody, and then those manuscripts need to be collated. And we are way ahead on all of this, because there has always been, you understand, the party of Christians, that this is a vitally important thing to be doing. Again, there are some Christian groups, we don't need to do any of that. that, that all that's been an absolute waste of time. Uh, we have our TR, we have our King James, whatever it is. We don't need to worry about all the rest of that kind of stuff. Just and that's the attitude that Muslims have had all along. We've why why do I need all that? I've I've got this. This is this is all I need. When I debated Adnan, and Adnan, I'm gonna I'm gonna invite Adnan to to to, to watch this. Adnan, remember in London what you said during our debate at one point. Remember, it was getting a little raucous. Remember, we had the guys down front that were doing the auk al- al- bars and all that kind of stuff. And and uh, and I made a really good point, and they didn't say anything. So I said, "Hey, where's my talk beer?" <laughs> and they were looking at me like, uh, "We're not supposed to do that." Anyway, uh, but but remember, Adnan, you said, "Hey, as long as we can get back to Uthman, that's good enough." No, it's not. That's getting back to the first revision. Um, that that's not good enough, and so that's. That's the point of, what all, uh, point of what this is. So, there is a huge gap between us at this point. It's not that this could not be done for the Quran. I'm concerned, to be honest with you, I've told the story before. I remember back in about 2006, 2007, a uh, Palimpsest manuscript came up for auction, I think it's Sotheby's, from the Quran. It was purchased and never heard from again. Poof, gone. Who knows where it went? Don't know. Don't know. Um, that's there's there's reason for concern for that. There's really no reason to be concerned that there are any major biblical manuscripts that are just hiding out someplace and someone doesn't want, to, want doesn't want anybody to see them. Um, but you know, the Saana manuscripts are extremely important. Are there any other Saana type finds? hiding in mosques someplace that people know about but don't want but because there's so many variants as there were in, in Saana that people don't want to have that get out there? Don't know. It's possible. But there's a huge gap right now between us. In fact, let me let me illustrate one further aspect of that before I get into what Dr. Kadi said. We not only have um we not only have that, but we have stuff like this. Let me Maximize. Here are here is the CBGM online uh, databases, and this is this is this is for a single variant in the Book of Acts, chapter eight, verse twenty-two, whether there is the little connective un therefore, and here here are the manuscripts that have been collated, relationships of manuscripts to one another. I can then uh, click on these and I can bring up uh, relationships between that manuscript and other manuscripts. I can, u- I can uh, bring up, for example, optimal substamata between P45 and manuscript 03. I mean, this is stuff anybody can do online right now. This is the level of information that we have available to us. It is astonishing um, what, is, what is there. All of this can be done uh, for the Quran as well, but it would take a huge international effort. And I don't see a whole lot of interest, honestly, uh, outside of maybe some Western Muslims to do this. But maybe we can get that started. There is the Corpus Chronicum project, very important. I'd like to see it continuing, but I think most of the people involved with that are Western scholars and there has been resistance from those on the other side. Here's what happened in the, in the, in the interview with Muhammad Jab. Yasir Qadi very honestly said, when he went to Yale, he was asked a lot of questions about the transmission of the text of the Quran that he could not answer, that had not been a part of his training in, in the Arabic world, in, in Medina and, and places like that. And that's certainly been my experience in my conversations with Muslim apologists, people involved in doing dawah, uh, in, in my experience, is they'll know a lot about why they don't accept the New Testament. But they don't know much positively about the history of how they themselves got their own text. The assumption being, the accepted assumption being, well, it's just been preserved by Allah. Um, this is the promise, and we just simply accept that, it has, that that's how it's come to us. So basically uh Yasukade and then Shabir Ali also put out a a video where he's discussing some of these things especially the kidot the the variant readings um there is a difference that we need we need to recognize there is a difference between talking about printed editions and the manuscripts from which they eventually have to be derived e- eventually you have to explain. Okay, the printed editions arose not from someone sitting there reciting it, but they were they are taken from manuscripts. They're from with the in Arabic mushaf. They were taken from manuscripts. So, what manuscripts were used? And do we know which manuscripts are better than other manuscripts? And why are they better than other manuscripts? This is what's called textual criticism. This is what Christian scholars do all the time, all the time. Um, I preached yesterday at my church, and I preached from Colossians chapter 1, the preeminence of Christ, creator of all things, yes, we believe is creator of all things, and I went back, and <laughs> we, uh, my, my uh, son-in-law and daughter and my grandkids live in the area now, go to the same church, and so after church, we get to, we've been having dinner, it's been a very enjoyable uh, time. And uh, so we're sitting there having some tacos uh, last night, and uh, my my daughter goes, "Yeah." And it was just a couple of minutes into the sermon. I leaned over to uh, to Eric and I said, "He's just translating the Greek. He doesn't have English up there. I can tell." And she was right. I was just translating. All I all had was my Nestle twenty eighth edition. I was just live translating as we were going along. But she could tell because she had been memorizing that passage, and I kept even when I'd reread it, it would come out a little bit differently because that's how it is when you're, when you're translating. And um, so, at one point in Colossians chapter 1, verse 14, um, there's a textual variant. And in the middle of a sermon where I am wanting to make an, I've got a point that I'm getting to. I still took 60 seconds, 90 seconds to mention it, explain it, Give the parallel passage from which the variant came, Ephesians one seven. It's in my book on textual criticism on the King James only controversy. Um, but I did. I put that in my sermons so that my people are aware of these issues. They need to be aware of these issues because there are going to be people that are going to bring up. Actually, I spent a little bit longer because I told the story about the guy in Salt Lake came out to me and asked if I used the bloodless Bible, and it was based on it was based on that particular variant. Anyway. Uh, so, we're used to discussing these things. Muslims are not. And therefore, when someone like Yasir Qadhi starts talking about these variations, Muhammad Hijab asked an extremely important question. I thought about queuing it up, but you can, you can go online, go to Yasir Qadhi's, uh, Qadhi is spelled Q A-D-H-A. Yasir Qadhi's Q-A-D-H-I. Yasir Qadhi's YouTube channel has the interview on it. I imagine Muhammad Job has it on his, too. I, I don't know, but I, um, that's, that's where I got the, the whole version. Because, like I said, it, is, it was initially sent to me as an edited three-minute video. And people started responding to it immediately. You notice I didn't. You know why? Because I got in touch with Yasser Kadi, And I wanted to make sure, because remember, years ago... When a mutilated version of something Yasser Khadi had said started passing around, they were using it to try to get him fired from his work and stuff like that. I want to make sure, is this, does this misrepresent you or, or something like that? So Saturday morning, I listened to the entire thing while I was writing. So I could make sure that I have the entire context and stuff like that. So Muhammad Hijab asks Yasser Khadi, If you were handed a blank mushaf, a blank manuscript, what would you write on it? And what he's asking is, of the various aruf, of the various versions, because there's some are popular in Pakistan, some are popular in India, some are popular in Indonesia, there's the one popular in the West what would you write now <laughs> i'm really hoping i'm 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 really hoping that yasser will will watch all of this i know it takes time but i'm hoping that that he will as soon as i heard him say that first of all i i both listened to it and i watched yasser kadi's reaction and i could not help but immediately think of how many times I've had King James only advocates ask me, okay, what is the perfect English Bible at this point? Because in their mindset, even though the English language didn't exist when the Bible was revealed, um, there has to be a specific and there can't be anything else. If there's any variation whatsoever, well, then I just can't believe any of it. That's the mindset in the King James Onlyist, and I would argue it's the mindset in the TR Onlyist as well. If you really push them, TR Onlyist for our Muslim friends are people who believe the textus receptus, the underlying Greek text that was translated in the King James. So it's just it's one step away from King James Onlyism. Um, that mindset was what was behind the question being asked of as- Yasr because Yasser Qadi's response is, it's just not that simple. And Muhammad's Hijab is, but it needs to be that simple. There needs to be a yes and no. And Khadir's, it, 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 there can't be. Because Yasser understands the history of transmission. He understands that you have multiple lines here. In fact, from my perspective, I think the Aruf would go back to early variants maybe maybe some from um, well there's maybe some of these have to do with the way that things were memorized by a particular memorizer that went to a particular area and so that becomes the popular reading there but obviously uh, Dr. Qadi Ibn Masud Ibn Masud there's huge evidence in the Islamic sources that Ibn Masud's readings in many places, varied. The early tafsir literature records these, records places where Ibn Masud's readings differed from Uthman's. And logically, that would be a first place to look for the original source of the different Kira'at and the, the, the arise of the Aruf, um, you know, applying standard textual critical thinking and methodology Even though there is a difference with how the Quran is transmitted, there's still that reality that it's a document that has to go through human hands, and it has a history to it. And it was a shorter history than the New Testament, so I do not expect there to be nearly as many differences, especially meaningful differences. There there can't be. There cannot be. You know why there cannot be? Because the Quran is only about half the size of the New Testament. And it was only transmitted for uh, approximately 900 years before it goes into print. And printing doesn't stop development, but it massively slows it down. Whereas the New Testament has to go through a millennium and a half before uh, 1,450 years, uh, 1,350 years, before printing... Takes place, and that's not even talking about the original language. I was in Latin before it was first printed by Gutenberg. Anyway, so there are differences. There are fundamental differences, time-wise, the size of the text, um, the the kind of uh, scribal errors that would be made in looking at an Arabic text versus a Greek text, for example. These are these are all issues that that come up, and then of course the role of revision because you. That free versus controlled transmission issue is massive when it comes to textual critical issues and things like that. So, uh, (laughs) Muhammad hijab wants a Salafi answer, and I have people who come up to me all the time who want the Christian corresponding to a Salafi answer. They want an absolute, there's no questions, I, I'm going to ignore the, the textual history, that they're willing to trade truth for certainty. Okay? There are Christians who are willing to do that. There are Muslims who are willing to do that. And that's, trading truth for certainty is a pretty popular thing. It really is. And so Muhammad Hijab is going, and Yasser Qadi won't do it. He did, however, eventually what he said was, this is, this is a very advanced topic, you need to be talking with people who can read Arabic, and and he's, he's saying this is, this is not something you talk about amongst people without preparing them. And I've said similar things, I mean, I've been spending decades of my life trying to educate Christians about the history of their own texts so that we can talk about these things, because you've got the Bart Ehrmans running around making their arguments, and people need to n- know how to respond to them. Um, but I get what Yasser Kadi was saying, but he did say very quickly to Muhammad Hijab that what he would write down would be a mixture of the various Aruf. Now, what that tells me is that what he's saying is, well, we have to look at the readings and do what? apply standard principles of textual criticism which is what Christian scholars do every single day. Every single day. But this is now an explosion of shock amongst Muslims that a conservative, believing Muslim scholar would say you need to apply textual critical principles. This isn't an explosion or shock for me, but it is for most Muslims. And certainly, certainly Yasser Qadi needs to understand that when Christians talk to Muslims, the Muslim understanding of their own text is not the same as his understanding of their own text as to its history and its transmission over time. Now, why, why do I hope, I really, 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 really hope that what this is going to do, what I hope it doesn't result in is some massive pushback that silences Western Muslims from honestly dealing with the history of their text. That would be horrific. That would be the wrong direction to go. My hope is that this will open doors for further discussion, because what have I been saying? (laughs) Out there by himself, the strange fellow who before he debated Shabir Ali for the first time, listened to hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours hours of Shabir Ali lectures while riding a bike um, to understand get hold of the resources try to accurately represent what the other side has to say use equal scales I'm not going to make an argument against the Quran that would then be equally opposite against the New Testament. You can't do that. And that's what has been done in the vast majority of the debates that I've done with Muslims. They've used one standard for the Quran and a different standard for the New Testament. My hope is that with with the comments that are being made by people like Asaqadi, that there would be a recognition that we've been right all along. You need to use the same standards. You need to use the same standards. And hence, my hope would be that people like Muhammad Hijab would hear that and go, all right, we've got some catch-up to do. Let's learn the basic principles of textual critical study. Let's, we want to know, we want to get as close to what was originally given by Muhammad as possible. Right? I mean, that's the goal of New Testament text criticism. I want to know what the apostles wrote. Not what somebody 50 years, 100 years, 200 years, 500 years later thought should have written. So we need to do that. And and we need to uh, get hold of resources like this. And get hold of resources like the uh, top copy manuscript. And we need to start we need to start pushing for a critical edition of the quran i have said over and over and over and over again when you're reading this quran there are no footnotes there are no footnotes there are no references to where the readings differ there are no references to where the consonantal text differs or the or the vowel pointing or the printings, where the Mushaf have different readings. There's nothing like that. That's what you need. We have that. We have that. Anytime you grab the Aland edition of the Greek New Testament, there it is. Ding, 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 ding. And see the notes at the bottom of the page? There they are. We, we have that. You don't. And I've been pointing this out since about 2006. And saying... This is a major difference between us and for us to really meaningfully discuss because we have to meaningfully discuss. You, this is not a subject that you can just simply leave off to the side. Your text talks about our books. Historically, your text comes after our book, half a millennium afterwards, and your text says to the al the people of the, of the gospel, that we are to determine, we are to make decisions based upon what's in the gospel. Well, that means we need to know what's in our gospel. But it also seems to mean that at the time that was written, the gospel still existed. And so, your text refers to our text and says that our text was all. It was sent down. So, we can't avoid this conversation. It, 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 it may be may be hard, may take a while, but you can't avoid this conversation. And here's my hope. Once you have recognized the textual history of the Quran and then the textual history of the New Testament, I'm going to present to you a strong argument that the free transmission of the text of the New Testament gives you a much higher reliability to the resultant text that I have right here than the controlled text gives you to this right here. It does. And I want to be able to explain that to you. And to be honest with you, in the vast majority of the debates, I get to that point and my Muslim friends stop hearing me because they just simply don't believe there's a textual history to look at in the first place. But once your own leaders are telling you that, then maybe finally we can get that next step taken and now we can start talking here and we can start start talking about intertextuality that is the fact that the Quran makes reference to stories in both the Old and New Testaments, the Tanakh and the New Testament and we could talk about what their sources were and then we can start having serious discussion about what the author of the Quran did and did not know about the sources that he was utilizing because If you are using sources to reconstruct the text of the Quran, which is what you're talking about doing, you may not, right now you just may be going, no, 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 I will not, no, I can't go there. But that's what textual criticism is. It's utilizing the sources that have been given to you to reconstruct the text. Then you have to start asking questions about given that yours is the third of three. (laughs) I'm not sure that's the best (laughs) phrase I want to use, because you know how that's used. Different context. You've got the Old Testament, you've got the Hebrew Scriptures, made reference to, in the Quran, the story of Lot, for example. Told four or five different times in the Quran. What sources did the author use to come up with the story of Lot? You have New Testament. Almost no... There's really no direct reference. But you have stories about Jesus right there in the text of the Quran. And then you have Surah 5, which connects all of them together. says God sent down the, the, the Torah to Moses, sent down the Injil to Jesus, and now you've got the, the Quran to Muhammad. They're connected together. Now that you recognize they all have a, a history, a textual history behind them, now we can start talking about the relationship they have to one another. Because... When we boil it all down, what all of us are having to talk about is the fact that you prioritize the Quran, even though it's only half, it's, 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 it's much smaller than the New Testament. You prioritize that over the other two, and why? Functionally, for the vast majority of the Muslims in the world, it's because of a book called It's Our Ul it's Ar al Haq, 1864. A book that determined the very essence of dawah to our very day. And that is, there is a, I think Yasir Qadi is aware of this, down through the history of Islam, there were two competing pathways. There were those who believed that the text of the Christian scriptures or the Torah and the Injil, had not been corrupted, but had been misinterpreted. And then those that believed that the actual wording had been corrupted. After Itzar al-Haq, 99% of Muslims above, above 99%, believe that the text of the Bible has been corrupted. Now, Itzar al-Haq was a horrific work of scholarship. Horrifically biased. Filled with errors. It's been refuted repeatedly, but it's still one of the most popular books out there. And it has determined the very nature of Dawah. You start doing serious compilation of the manuscripts and textual criticism of the Quran, and you will not be able to continue to utilize the argumentation that has been popularized by its Arahach. And that's going to change everything. We might actually be able to start having meaningful conversation based upon equal scales. Upon equal scales. So that's my hope. Because I fully understand, and may, may, I, may I say something here? If you're more of the Salafi bent, maybe even more toward the Makdali side of things, um, before you grab your pitchfork and your torches and head for Yasser Kadi's house or his office, um you need to understand that he's simply telling you the truth. He's simply telling you the truth. If you know, if you just know what's in here. If if you just know about the just the 10 kiraat, Just here. I mean there's there's more to it than that. I think I think more important than this are the, You've got to be looking. You start with the manuscripts. Then you can start talking about other sources and printed compilations and all the different versions that are available in the world today and, and all the rest of that stuff. But you've got to start here. If you just have this and you want to give an honest, al haq, truthful answer to to Muhammad hijab's question what do you write on the blank mushaf then you have to if this is all you have you have to apply principles of textual criticism to this you have to if you have a variant let, let me give you an example and I'm I would love to have the time to do this maybe somebody will but I can guarantee you, That we will be able to find examples of what's called homoteluton in the variant readings of the Quran. Homoteluton, I know enough Arabic to know that there are particular grammatical terminations in the various verbal forms, or the various noun forms as well, for that matter, um, that are common in the language. So what happens is you're reading through the text, um, and you finish writing a particular verb that has a common ending. In English, we'd have things like an ing, uh, hitting, running, boating, et cetera, et cetera, ing. Among substances, es, whatever. Common grammatical ending. You... Write it down. You look back at what you're copying. And three words down the line is another word that ends with the same ending. teluton, similar ending. Your eye catches the second rather than the one that you were at. You continue copying from there. As a result, you accidentally delete the two words that are in between. You didn't do it intentionally. It's a standard scribal practice it it, it it's it, it, we're humans our eyes are not photocopiers i can guarantee you we can find homoioteleuton in the various kanaat of the of the of the quran betcha there won't be as many as in the new testament because it was formally it was it was it was controlled transmission and because it's just much shorter you just don't have as many words To be able to do it. Um, Free transmission will always produce more textual variants. Because it's a free transmission. But it still gives you a higher certainty as to the final product. Than any controlled transmission ever can. I want to see. I want to see. I, I, I would pray for the day. When I would have the freedom to present a paper to a group of Muslim scholars as to why controlled transmission and free transmission must be differentiated from one another and what that means for the Quran and the New Testament. That would be awesome. That would be wonderful. Not because, oh, well, pat yourself on the back. No, because I have been saying for years We've been debating the same subjects over and over again, and we keep coming up against the same walls. And the reason for this is no even scales. No even scales. You're using one standard for the Quran, another standard for the New Testament. That was my first objection to Shabir Ali in 2005, when I first started listening to him. When I first started listening to him, when I was first contacted by the guys at Biola, about doing a debate with him, which took place in May of of 2006, one of the first things I heard was, wait a minute, he's using one standard for the Quran, and another standard for the New Testament. And that has been the ubiquitous, the ubiquitous constant reality. All along. Here is a door that is open that can change that. That can get us on the road to getting farther down the road. Because I am convinced of the truthfulness of what I believe. And because I'm convinced of that, then I can be wide open about my sources, and I can dive deep into your sources because I'm, I have absolute confidence. I'm, but I, because I am committed to speaking the truth to you in love, the two have to go together. I can't use the excuse of love to be untruthful to you. And I'm not being loving toward you if I'm being untruthful to you. (laughs) So I have to use both. So I have to use the same example. I have heard people make arguments about the Quran that I will not use because I cannot verify it or because it requires me to use a different standard than what I use in the defense of the New Testament. And guys, again, I'm speaking to my Muslim friends. I don't just defend the text of the New Testament against Muslims. I defend the text of the New Testament against a lot of different perspectives that would say that it has been corrupted or changed over time. And in fact, I defend the critical analysis of the text against the people on the other side that say, as Christians, we shouldn't do any of that anyways. So, I'm trying to be consistent. I'm trying to be consistent in how I deal with your claims, how I deal with my responses, with my own beliefs. And this is what drives all of you crazy. You know I care about you. When I get to sit down with you guys and have lunch and have dinner, you know I really do care about you guys. And so this is a great opportunity to make some strides and to get the word out and maybe you guys can put some pressure because, you know, trust me, stuff like a critical edition of Greek New Testament doesn't just pop into existence. There has to be funding. There has to be funding. And you need a critical edition of the Quran. A real one. Not one made up by people just to try to, well, this is what Uthman had, and that's good enough for us. No, you. I want you guys to be able to look me in the eye and say, we want to know what Muhammad said, not what somebody later said. I want to know, too. I want to know, too. Because... That's the, once we're there, now we can ask the question, all right, now that we know what he said, how does that compare with what came before him, which he said he was consistent with? And right now, all I get is, well, we reject what your text says because it's been changed. But if you're not having to do textual criticism, recognizing you should have been doing it all along, you can't just turn around and say that. Because I can say, well, you're having to have to do text criticism, too. So what? Now we can actually start talking about the substance of what our books actually say. That's, this is big. This is important. And if you are a person absolutely dedicated to truth, this should not be something that you are going to in any way resist. So, so you, Salafi, that are mad at Kadi, he was telling the truth. He was simply telling the truth. Once you know this, and then you ask the question, okay, what's the final text? You have to go, it's going to depend upon what we're looking at and what sources we're using. That's the reality. That's called being truthful. That's where we are. That's where we are. So, um, there, are, there are articles appearing Uh, Videos being put out and stuff about what Yashikadi said, what Shabir Ali has said on um, uh, a brief thing that he put out just just recently. Um, Like, again, Muslims in the past did know these things, but I have said many times many, many Christians have no history, no idea of the history of their own text. It's worse. It's worse. Let's just be honest. I think that's what Yasir Qadhi was saying. It's worse even amongst the ulema in Medina as to what the history of the Quran is. It really is. So, it's time to move past that. It's time to move past that. It's time to actually deal with these issues. And I'm looking forward to it. I really, really hope it takes place. I really, really do. So, there are some thoughts. I hope that's useful to you. Um... And I look forward for the conversation to continue. Like I said, tomorrow on the program, we will be looking at the continued collapse of Western culture um, and the moral, fiber, um, civilizational constructs of the United States of America. Um, And it's because we have abandoned the foundation that gave us strength, which was the Judeo-Christian worldview. Um, So, more on that in the program tomorrow. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time. God bless.